Welcome to this week's episode of Financial Planning Explained on RVN TV. My name is Mike Menninger and I am your host, certified financial planner and owner and founder of Menninger and Associates Financial Planning. Uh, we are in uh, part two of Social Security. And as I indicated at the beginning of the first episode, this has to be probably one of the more um, confusing uh, lots of misinformation, misunderstanding, uh, just all kinds of problems that people misunderstand the whole, uh, all the rules. And, you know, so as I implied at the beginning of the prior episode is I've always been a believer in he who knows the rules the best usually does better at the game. And, you know, this is a federal government program, but it has lots of nuances with the rules. So um, a lot of the prior episode, I was talking about the history of Social Security. And in the end of the episode, I was, well, I was talking about the different types of benefits there are. And then I talked about pretty much how they calculate your uh, primary insurance amount, which is the number that shows up on your Social Security statement in the upper right-hand corner. So today, uh, I'm going to pick up a little bit where I left off um, with the same slide that we were talking about the last time, and that'll kind of get us flowing back into uh, some of the other facets uh, associated with the Social Security. So here we go. So as you recall from the last uh, episode, uh, you have what's called full retirement age, and full retirement age is anywhere between 66 and 67. Uh, for those people born prior to 1954, full retirement age is 66. For anybody born after 1960 or 60 and later, uh, it's age 67. And then it's, it transitions between those two years. So um, full retirement age is the magic number, okay? It is absolutely the magic number because it's the determination of how much your benefit is. And then from there, everything else is calculated off of that number. And then also, uh, the benefit or restrictions, if you choose to take it early, all come about based upon that day of full retirement age. And if you happen to be born, let's say, June 23rd, 1960, I will use that date, then effectively you're eligible for Social Security on June 1st in the year that you turn 62, and then you reach full retirement age on June 1st of the year that you turn 67, and the maximum you'll ever get is on June 1st, the year that you turn 70. So for anybody who chooses to wait until beyond 70, they're absolutely, it's ludicrous because of the fact that they're giving away free money because the, the benefit is not gonna go up. Now, the federal government has uh, basically provided actuarial calculations to develop uh, what, how much that you reduce your benefit by, and generally speaking, okay, the break-even point is somewhere between age 78 and age 80, but I'm going to talk about that a little bit more uh, in the latter part of this episode because that can factor in as to whether or not you choose to collect your benefits. Uh, early or if you choose to delay your benefits. But once again, if you choose to take your benefits prior to age 
uh, for retirement age, you're going to get a reduction in benefits. As I indicated, for the first every month for three years prior, you're going to get a reduction of five ninths of a month, a five ninths of percent, which means at the end of three years, you'll take a 20% reduction and then five twelfths of a percent for every month prior to that. So basically, you know, you look at your statement and you see that the, the number of 62, age 62, and whatever your full retirement age, assume 67, you could pick it up any month along the way. And this is how they calculate what that number is going to be. Okay, so if you decide that you're going to delay your retirement, then it's going to increase by 8% per year or two-thirds of a percent per month until age 70. So let's talk about the impacts of early retirement. So as I indicated, if you take the money out early, then what happens is that you're going to get a smaller dollar amount. Okay, but then again, you're also going to collect it for longer. And the same goes with every pension. So, you know, there again, just like I said before, is it's going to depend on a whole variety of other factors as to whether you choose to take it early or whether you choose to delay it. However, what is extremely important is if you choose to take your Social Security benefit prior to full retirement age, you now have an income restriction. Now, let's define income. Income is defined as earned income. So if you're collecting a pension, that doesn't count. If you're collecting dividends or capital gains or interest from your savings accounts or taking money from a retirement plan, none of that income counts towards the restriction as to how much you can make. It is only based on earned income. And that could also be self-employment income, so be careful of that, okay? So, if you're prior to full retirement age, and I'm gonna use the June of 1960 example, okay? So, there's two time periods in which they have uh, different values for how much one can earn. Actually, there's three time periods if you really wanna get down to it. The first one is any time prior, but not including the year in which they retire. So using the example of someone born in June of 1960, it would be in the year of 2027 at the age 67 that that individual would receive or reach full retirement age. What happens is if that individual decided to collect an early benefit prior to June of that year, they could actually, in that year, earn up to $50,520 and still not impact their Social Security. However, if they go through that 50520 number, which, by the way, is increasing each year with inflation. It was 48000 something last year. Um, if they exceeded that value then what happens is they have to give back $1 for every $3 they went over. So let's say, for instance, their income was $53,000. They exceeded it by $3,000. They would have to give back $1,000 of their benefits, which Social Security Administration would start going after the following year because they're going to see from your tax withholdings, et cetera, that you made the money and they're going to come chase you down and reduce your benefit 
the beginning of the following year until they get their money back, okay? Now, that's in the year an individual turns full retirement age. In the years prior to it, that number is dramatically smaller, okay? Again, it goes up each year, but right now, in 2021, that number is $18,960, which also equates to $1,580 a month, okay? Now, it has two different time horizons again within that period, which can be confusing, but if it's in the year, so we've got someone who's born in June of 1960, if they decided to retire and begin to collect their benefit in 1962, but I'm sorry, 19, uh, 2022, okay, but a little bit later in the year, they decided to work until September. In the first year that they begin to collect the benefit, what happens is that they look at the monthly dollar amount. So if you happen to make $4,000 in one month, but zero the next two months, too bad. You exceeded that month. And they're gonna penalize you for whatever you exceeded the 1580 per month by in that year, okay? But in the following year, now it goes back to the full number of 18,960, which means using the same analysis, you could make $4,000 in January, $4,000 in February, and $4,000 in March, exceeding your monthly benefit each time. But as long as you stay under the annual threshold of 18,960, you won't lose your benefit or any of your benefit, or you won't be penalized. So the importance of this is to really understand what your intent and plan is because if you choose to begin drawing Social Security, then you darn well better know that you're not intending to begin working and making more than that minimum every year. Now, we all know that surprises happen, okay? And what the Social Security Administration allows you to do, and I refer to it as the do-over effect, is if for some reason you determine, oh shoot, you know, I just began collecting Social Security benefits and all of a sudden the job of a lifetime comes rolling in the door and you want to go back to work or you're tired of being home all the time and you want to go back to work, well, you have a one-time opportunity within the first 12 months to be able to say, time out, I goofed. I want to not take my retirement benefit, at which point what you're obligated to do is to return all the benefits that you earned need to go back to Social Security and it's no harm, no foul, as if nothing happened, okay? So that's important to know that there is the do-over effect. And it could easily be because you made money or whatever the scenarios may be, but it's always good to know that you have one opportunity to say, oh, I goofed, okay, and go back. So. There are, believe me, I tell you, there are a lot of tricks that you can apply when it comes to this because there are a lot of things that come back to bite people, such as deferred compensation programs and other things like that, and people who may decide that they're going to uh, receive a certain amount of benefit during the course of the year, they may wait until a particular time of the year. Someone who is self-employed 
may have the ability to manipulate income, um, I would strongly encourage, if you're thinking about beginning to draw Social Security, you want to understand not only the rules of the game, but you're going to want to understand your particular circumstances. So, next is the spousal benefit. Well, the spousal benefit came whereby oftentimes you may have one spouse who has been the sole breadwinner all their life and the spouse was a stay-at-home mom or dad, they, they, they didn't work, and what happens is, or they don't have enough credits to qualify or whatever the case may be, the lower age earner, earner is eligible to collect 50% of the higher wage earner's benefit with no penalty to the higher wage earner. So what do I mean by that? Is Social Security Administration, if you go in to apply for Social Security and you have your benefit would be $500. Meanwhile, your spouse's benefit is $2,000. You have the ability, instead of collecting your own $500, you have the ability to collect $1,000, which is 50% of your spouse's benefit. Great. Now, if your benefit was $1,300, then the Social Security Administration requires that you take your benefit, as opposed to half of your spouse's. Because you're required, if you're thinking about taking the spouse's benefit, you're required to pick the higher of the two. Now, here's another sneaky rule. Your spouse needs to be, in order to collect the spousal benefit, your spouse needs to have begun collecting their benefit. Or they must have exceeded their full retirement age and then did what's called file and suspend, which is a technique allowed to enable the other spouse to draw their income, so half of their income. So. I've actually experienced clients who are beginning to take their benefit at age 62, even though their spouse's benefit is 50%, is, is greater than 50% of theirs, that does not preclude them from taking their benefit. So what they can do is they can begin to take their benefit, and once their spouse retires or reaches full retirement age, then they get a supplement to bring them to that point. Now, what is also eligible is divorce, okay? If, there is, if you're divorced to a spouse, then, or former spouse, you're eligible to collect their social security or 50% of their social security just as if you were currently married. However, of course, there's rules. You have to have been married for at least 10 years in order to do that and divorced also for a period of time of over a year. So you now are eligible also as a divorced spouse to be able to collect it. Now you cannot be remarried, and I, another joke, of course we all have experiences. I had a client who uh, was in the same boat and what I recommended is like, okay, don't get married. <laughs> You need to not get married so that you can collect your spousal benefit. 
okay? Or in actually her case was the survivor benefit. Works kind of works the same way. You can't be remarried. If you're remarried, you're no longer eligible to collect the spousal benefit from an ex-spouse. And believe it or not, there are people out there who have the ability to be able to collect from a multitude of spouses because they were married at least twice for 10 years and subsequently divorced twice again. So next thing we're gonna talk about is the survivor benefit. The survivor benefit is similar to a spousal benefit, except you get to take their benefit. Okay, now you get a whopping 255 bucks. Don't spend it all in one place. It's a death benefit of $255. However, what you have the ability to do is as the spouse, the surviving spouse, is if you are already collecting Social Security and so is your deceased spouse, then you automatically get to choose and you jump up to the higher of the two. Now, you lose yours, but you pick the higher of the two. So if one spouse, if your spouse is making $2,500 a month and you're making only $1,500 a month and your spouse dies, that enables you to jump from your $1,500 to your spouse's $2,500, but you lose your $1,500. But the good news is that you pick the higher of the two. Now, I should also point out that if you're beginning to collect the benefit early, Prior to your full retirement age, you're again going to be subject to the same early withdrawal, um, not to say penalties, but reduction in your benefit. Another thing about the spousal benefit is that you can begin to take that benefit as early as age 60, as long as you're not married. And that was the example I was talking about earlier. Okay, I kept coming. Don't get married before you get age 60. And a couple of weeks before she turned 60, or actually really a couple of months before she was turning 60, to remind her to go ahead and contact the Social Security Administration to begin to collect her spousal beneficiary. Of course, I asked her, I said, you didn't get married, then don't get married within the next two months, but that's the rule. So I can then begin to collect my spouse's benefit and it's reduced to 71.5%. Now think about that for a moment. If my full retirement age was 67, and I were to collect my own benefit at age 62, it's reduced to 70%. Here, I can collect my benefit as early as age 60. And with that, I now can collect more than what I would have collected, at least as a percentage, on my own benefit. And so, there's a lot of strategies that one can employ. Again, you gotta wait until you're 60. The same thing applies as an early benefit is that if you're working, you can't make more than $18,960 a year or the, the $1,580 a month. All that same thing applies. However, what's really cool about this is that you have the ability to collect your spouse's benefit while you allow yours to grow. So in the instance where uh, one spouse is, uh, let's say both of us are $2,000 a month, what I have the ability to do is collect 71.5% of my spouse's benefit at age 60. And then what I do is I collect that 71.5%, which is $1,430, I collect that all the way up until I turn age 70, at which point I flip to mine.
because now mine grew from 2000 or shall it grew by 24%. So if you want to talk about maximizing social security benefits, that is an enormous opportunity. And I come across this a lot and it's a great opportunity to, to be able to um, really supplement your benefit. And, and I've seen this happen both if my existing spouse died or if my divorced ex-spouse died. That once again gives me the ability to draw upon what their benefit would have been because if my ex-spouse died at age 58, what's going to happen is that I, once I turn age 60, can take 71.5% of what their full retirement age number would have been. Or if they were age 68 and drawing, I could get 71.5% of that number. So there's a lot of ways that you can maximize and don't underestimate the survivor benefit and how you play the game because of the fact that it prevents or presents itself as a terrific opportunity. So the question then becomes, when should I apply? Well, you know what, uh, guess I always say this, any financial planning question that is presented to me always results in the same answer, it depends. Okay, what does it depend on? It depends on whether you're married or you're single, what your health is or what your uh, spouse's health is, which kind of goes in with life expectancy, okay, uh, what the spouse's benefit might be relative to my benefit, and what other sources of income I might have. So really, it all comes down to financial planning and projecting. Do I have a pension? Do I have a benefit? Do I have a spouse's benefit? Is, am I single or am I married? Is my spouse's benefit significantly larger? For instance, if my spouse's benefit is significantly larger, I may as well take mine earlier, especially if they're older. And I have a client has a 10-year age gap where she's 60, he's 70. We're gonna recommend that she begin at age 62 because once she begins at age 62, just looking at rules of life expectancy, she's going to be collecting her benefit and if her spouse passes, let's say in 15 years, then she'll immediately jump to the higher benefit. So factor all these things in to ascertain which do you go with. Now, what I'd like to take a minute and go over is single. And this is where I have a tendency to disagree with many people. So, arguably, not arguably, but if I was single and I compare age 62 to 67, and at age 67, my benefit would have been $1,000, but at age 62, I get a 30% reduction. Well, okay. What if... The, the break-even age is somewhere between ages 78 and 79. It's about age 78 and a half. What that means is that if I waited to 67, it's at that age that I will have accumulated just as much benefit if I took $1,000 a month for those 18 years as opposed to 18, no, 11 years, or if I started early. But what if I invested that $700? Well. Okay, it's a different story then. 
So if I invested that $700, well, people are going to say, come on, Mike, let's be practical here. If I'm receiving Social Security, I'm not going to invest that $700 or whatever that number might be. Ah, but wait, if I'm receiving $700 of Social Security, but I'm not drawing $700 from my 401k or my IRA or other source of investment, then that $700 that I otherwise would have drawn from is being invested. So what if I were to apply growth rates? Well, if I had a growth rate of 4% of my investments that I'm not drawing from, instead of my Social Security break-even age of being age 78, it becomes age 84. A little bit of a difference there, isn't it? Okay. If I were to earn 7% of my investments, which some would say that's aggressive, others would say that's nothing, okay? But if I were to earn 7% on my investments, my break-even age is age 108. And if I'm single and I'm not relying on a, a spousal benefit or a death benefit, etc., then why would I not begin to collect early? Guess what I also didn't factor in, of course, me being a math geek, of course I did, is inflation. So I used inflation actually expands those numbers. And I used 1.5% for inflation. If I were to go 1.5% inflation, instead of my break-even age being 78, it becomes 80. Now what I mean by inflation is I'm growing the Social Security benefit by 1.5% per year, which is actually less than the long-term average. So I'm growing the Social Security benefit, which means that I started at 700, that's growing, and if it has an investment growth, then first of all, the break-even age goes from 78 to 80. If I were to earn 4%, the break-even age goes from 84 to 87, and here I go with the 7%. My break-even age is 116. So if my break-even age is 116, why would I wait? Just saying. So the last but not least is the taxation of Social Security. And I talked about this in my tax program, and I sing this praise. As I indicated, when you retire, the question that's asked of me all the time is, is Social Security taxable? And the answer I give is it depends. As I indicated earlier, the taxation of Social Security is predicated on my other income. Well, here's what happens is this is a chart that I don't have time to go through, but one of my prior episodes that talked about taxation of Social Security and Roth IRA conversions, this basically demonstrates that the phantom taxation of Social Security, which I also wrote a paper on, and it's on my website, um, I wrote a paper on this that talks about the phantom taxation of Social Security because my other income is causing my Social Security to become taxable. It turns out that my marginal tax bracket in retirement could very well be higher than it is today. And in fact, in many cases, for middle income Americans, that's the case.
So I am out of time. I can go on with this for a long time, as you could probably see and understand. I enjoy the subject of Social Security, but I strongly encourage that if you're thinking about taking Social Security and you're nearing that age, I strongly encourage to get to know and understand the rules. I encourage that you talk to a financial advisor and not just your friend around the corner because they don't always have all of the information. And uh, a, a shameless plug, I am going to be doing seminars on Social Security once this COVID thing becomes a little bit more where I could do presentations and seminars in a group setting. So I sign off today. I sign off for the week. I hope you have a wonderful weekend weekend, and I look forward to seeing you next week on my show, Financial Planning Explained, and I am your host, Mike Manager, Certified Financial Planner. Have a great week. Thank you.